I can't never stop working hard. Each day I feel I have to improve. Hard work, determination. I've got to keep pushing myself. Hello and welcome to hi the podcast that can catch a fly with its chopsticks, but then unceremoniously pops it into its mouth, much to everyone's dismay. Sharpen up your nunchucks, folks, and let's get down to business. Let me run through who we got here today briefly. We have myself, Dave Jones. Uh, to my right, I've got the majestic Craig Keesling. Howdy. Not that majestic, but... Glad oh, to be here. Take, oh, dude. Take, take my word <laughs> for it. Don't sell yourself You're short. putting my eyes out here. <laughs> and behind the board, as always, Magnificent Jay. Good afternoon, sir. Evening, as the case may be. Oh, right. Jay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it keeps getting closer to the ladder, so let's move this show along. Let's get some entertainment happening here. Um, today, we're going to have a discussion topic on traditional versus sport martial arts. And then we have a great interview coming up, so even if you think we're stupid, stick around for that. We've got Ellis Amder on tonight. And uh, we've got news, we've got a quote of the week at the end, and possibly even a media segment. So let's see what we can get through, and uh, let's get Sweet. started. Oh, b- before, we, before we get too deep into any kind of discussion, I have to tell you, by the way, I know I keep going on about this about this restaurant. <laughs> I'm you had a revelation. It's the soup. I'm guessing it's the I, soup. I worked at a Chinese restaurant for six years, right? So, and this this was like more than a decade ago. So, you know, you I really had, can't classify that as a true Chinese restaurant, right? Yeah, you sure can. I'm <laughs> anyway, uh, I'll, we'll get into that later. Um, so, but that ruined me for Chinese food for like years. You got to understand. And this is the first time I've been excited about a Chinese restaurant in a while. And it's 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 the hot and sour soup. Yeah, over at the uh, we'll go ahead and plug them. It's the Yinjing on Buford Highway. If you're Dude. in Atlanta, oh, okay. go get some on you. Very yeah. seriously, I, I love that restaurant. I would maim a motherfucker for that hot and sour soup. <laughs> like I'm not even jo- good it's, on I, you, brother. It it blows my mind that they only charge money. Yeah, for it. Well, luckily know? for three dollars, you don't have to maim anyone. <laughs> That's my favorite place for Jai maim yourself Yen. eating it too hot. Burn your tongue. I love. Okay. I, they have the most awesome jajangmyeon, uh, which is actually. Kind of northern Chinese, mainly Korean dish, mm-hmm, but I mm-hmm. I love the hell out of that. Oh stuff. Yeah. yeah, steamed dumplings. Oh, the dumplings, ah, yeah. the hot too. braised shrimp. Okay, well they're not paying us for this crap. So. <laughs> Good point. Let's move on. Let's get on. We could judo chop them in the neck, though. That'd be martial artsy. Yeah, judo sure. chop. Uh, let's hop right into the discussion topic today, folks, because uh, our interview is bearing down on us. Uh, yeah, we wanted to talk a little bit about traditional versus sport martial arts. This is, if you look at uh, martial arts forums or just talk to people on the street, basically the world is broken down into two camps. You're either MMA or a boxer and sport is the only real thing, or you're a traditionalist and those guys don't have the reels to stand up to the streets. Uh, and as always, the truth is probably somewhere way in the middle of those two opinions. So, um, I'd say the truth is in the McDojo, my friend. The truth is in the McDojo. (laughs) The one that comes in a clamshell box. That's right. Get it at the drive-thru. No, well, let's, uh, Craig, let me put it to you this way. If you had to to list the positives and the negatives of each one of those, sporting and traditional, what would come to mind? Well, to me, some of them are just right in your face. Um, I would consider myself to be a traditionalist, and most people would say that makes me anti-MMA. Um, and actually, that's not the case. 
Um, they've got a hell of a thing going here. First off is the money. I mean, they're kicking it when it comes to money. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we certainly can't <laughs> claim to have any money circulating in the traditional martial arts. No, right you're now. not traditional unless you're broke, you know. Right. But, uh, but look at it this way. They are constantly, constantly testing their abilities. And I got to give them cred for that. Even if in a traditional art you are doing sparring or uh, fighting fairly frequently, it's, it's much more infrequent than the MMA or sport contestants do. Um, and that, that is something that I think uh, traditionalists can, can really learn a lot from. Yeah, and uh, so let's just mark that. Point one for them is they get in there and use their stuff against people who are unwilling to let them do it. Mm-hmm. Resistance. Keep, uh, resistance. And, and, and I guess that's kind of the, the whole, that's, that's what they exist to do is basically two guys get in and beat the crap out of each other. So, Well, yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, that, there's that. They least. get mad or somebody offers them money and they do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or both. And they get to wear cute little pants too. I like that though. Well, they, let me yeah. back let me back up here. The the traditionalist in me might pipe up and say, "Well, that's great, and that certainly does help them be better fighters." Uh, but it also trains them to fight in a certain way that may not be appropriate in self defense situations. That's the crux. It truly is because you hear about tradition, and when you're talking tradition, you're talking history and you're talking wars. You know, it, for me, when you when you talk about MMA, where you're going to involve a lot of grappling most of it's grappling that you always hear it all fights go to the ground yada 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 although that's no longer as true as it used to be because people are realizing that if you train striking against grappling you can often defeat the shoot and so forth so now they have to have a pretty broad toolbox true indeed uh but you know i gotta say the last time i was in any kind of physical confrontation a fight if you would it was never just another guy uh, it was always a guy and his buddies, yeah. and it's that that you have to worry about. I'm not getting on the ground so your buddies can, you know, stab me yeah, in the back. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, you know. Kick you in the back of the head. Like, yeah, oh, I'm going to take you to the ground. It's like, that's real effective, but I got three guys going to kick you in the face. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know? Now, we should say, uh, again, in defense of sporting arts, that uh, there are sporting arts out there that uh, kind of blur the line. And, and for instance, Shui Zhao, mm. Uh, doesn't follow the throw to the ground. They don't have a ground game so much as they're an upright throwing style, which, you know, might lend itself better to the street and that you're not training yourself that the sacrifice throw is worth it. Exactly. I mean, the the ground hitting you is a heck of a lot harder than my fist or my little toe. <laughs> oh, yeah. As, some, <laughs> as somebody smarter than me once said, the ground never misses. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... um. Moving along, what would you say would be the big selling point for doing a traditional martial art? Well, traditional, in most cases, is about a hell of a lot more than simply fighting. Um, to me, that's one of the, the lures of, of traditional martial arts. You've got a lot of the cultural trappings. And I say trappings, it sounds negative. But you've got with the Chinese stuff, you've got the lion dancing, maybe some of that medicine stuff, you, you know, the fancy clothes. You've got the, the, uh, the ethics. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have the fancy clothes. <laughs> I know. I, know. Oh, yeah. I have you, to wear a suit every time I do a demonstration because <laughs> I don't have the pajamas. You've got language and history that's often being taught. You've got... <coughs> you got a frog in your throat. I do. <laughs> I think you, you swallowed a bug. Frogs in your throat. <laughs> no, but you also get the um, what a lot of people in in the Chinese arts call qigong. Um, but 
breathing exercises, more health-oriented stuff that's not geared towards, you know, fighting somebody, but rather fighting off defenses, you know, like illness and things like that. And the other thing to weigh in the balance when you're talking about traditional versus sport martial art, the other side of that coin is in sporting martial arts, uh, you know, if you're just doing it sort of as a weekend warrior, that's one thing. But if you're competing regularly and trying to be, you know, at least a dedicated amateur, if not a professional, injuries. Ah, uh, true. Injuries will pile up, even if it's something as, you know, mundane as perpetual cauliflower ear, uh, you know, uh, Big Al, we'll mention him every time we do one of these podcasts until he comes on. He had a student one time that wanted to, uh, you know, be a serious MMA competitor, and it started training that, and Big Al told him, well, go ahead and get married now, because you're as good looking as you'll ever be. <laughs> Somehow I know what student you're actually referring to. Yeah. <laughs> But the point is the point there. You know, it, it takes a certain amount of dedication to do something like that, knowing that the odds are good. Now, uh, apparently, you know, life-threatening injuries are lower in MMA than in judo competition. And I've heard something like over a 10-year period that uh, 120 people died in Japan, or maybe it was a 20-year period, doing judo, which made it one of the most dangerous sports. See, I told you, guns don't kill people. (laughs) Judo Judo kills people. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, and the the traditional arts do, uh, I I think a good traditional martial art will give your body the kind of exercise that you only get from something like that or perhaps certain kinds of dance. True. Where it's about, you know, exploring every dimension of space around your body. And yeah, a lot of this stuff is not going to be the most efficient killing tactic in the world, but it's part of the core, but part of the body of the style. Exactly. Yeah, you, you touched on another good point about traditional martial arts, which is a, a, a knowledge of anatomy and spatial awareness that you don't really get when you're just worried about one-on-one grappling type scenarios. Um, in traditional martial arts, you have to have your... Uh, your vision such that you can see when some guy's coming from your right. And, you you know, these, these kinds of things are, are trained either directly or indirectly in a lot of times in traditional martial arts because that's something you really need to know about if that other guy is coming up behind you. Right. And so to throw it back and ding another point, for sport martial arts, unfortunately there are a lot of traditional martial arts schools that have given up entirely on teaching people to fight, whether they tell you that or not and you can learn forms for years and never have any as uh alan Pittman said in his last interview uh that we did that he had done forms for seven years and was very good at him but couldn't fight his way out of a paper bag because <laughs> he'd right. never been shown how to use it and so there are teachers out there that are either too reluctant to show that to people or hold it back for too long or simply were taught by people who didn't show it to them and don't know how to do it. Right. This, I mean, this touches on that form versus function thing, too. You know, you don't have grappling forms, per se. Right. But you will end up having drills where, you, you know, this works and you're just going to have to do it over and over and over and over until it, you know, becomes kind of second nature. And in the end, a good traditional martial arts form should be practiced the exact same way. True it's indeed. not just something for performance. You extract every technique. You work it by yourself, partner drills. But a lot, I think a lot of that gets lost. Oh, in, it does. In the ability to appeal, let's face it, to the broadest common market. True indeed. Uh, the cool thing about uh, with traditional martial arts, the forms, there's something nice and pretty to look at. You you instantly have something you can go to a uh, Chinese New Year and celebration and do a demonstration of. 
You know, you can't really do that with grappling. You know, <laughs> here comes two guys on the ground grappling. This guy wins. You know, yeah. Although people will pay money to watch two guys grapple in earnest, <laughs> whereas you're not going to make much at the Chinese New Year demonstration. True indeed. True indeed. Or if you did, you're holding my cut. <laughs> <laughs> pit, pit that against one of the, just a single MMA guy, just what, beating the crap out of the air in front of him. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like that would, yeah, that's, that's, that's like, that would be ugly. But <laughs> back to another point though on, on sport uh, martial arts thing you've got going on is, and you hear this uh, topic, you know, in, in other situations is scientific methodology. Uh, most of their training methodologies always being refined and refined and refined based on scientific principles. Right. You uh, don't have the argument from antiquity that exactly. we have to preserve these tactics exactly like they were because people a thousand years ago knew more about this than we do and we've lost right, the right. art if we you know if we lose this. <clears throat> now wait to let me counter that point though, which is to say there are circumstances that one might wish to train for, for instance, you know, being mobbed by multiple opponents on the street that people or fighting with handheld weapons that people a hundred years ago or 200 years probably did have a lot more real world experience, experience with, <laughs> True. which you might not get by reverse engineering it from a modern standpoint, because there simply aren't that many attacks, at least in the, you know, in the developed world, you don't have that as a routine thing anymore. Oh, I, true. I can't remember the last time somebody came after me with a chain whip, to be honest with you. So. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> or even a machete, you know, not to be too grim about it, but there are places in the world where you uh, might today still regularly still. have trouble with that. But, you know, we're, we're all comfortable Americans, so it's not that big a problem. Manitoba. Did you hear about that a few years ago? Oh, the guy that sawed the other person's head off on <laughs> oh, the bus with a machete That's on the a bus. Good one. <laughs> it can happen anywhere. That's which a good is, time. Which is, you know, sport or traditional. It was part of what drives us all to train. But you were exactly. going to say? No, I'd say you, even historically, I mean, you look at lifestyles, uh, you know, right now I feel comfortable walking from my house to the store, relatively comfortable. Um, but you always hear in the stories of, of your teachers and everything else, you know, People had to be worried about getting mugged or getting attacked, getting jumped for your stuff on a fairly frequent basis. Um, so your average individual is going to have seen some sort of violence in one way or another. More often than not, now, uh, a lot of times people just get comfortable with their day-to-day -day life and don't realize the predatory dangers that do still exist. Yeah, and that actually are probably, I would wager, getting a little bit worse every day because mm -hmm. the economy's in the dump and... You know, every day there's another guy who can't make money some way legitimately. And, you know, here they come to take you on the millionaire's tour. I'm fairly familiar <laughs> with that situation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's happened to a roommate of mine, too. You know, mm -hmm. carjacked and driven to every ATM in town and then threatened with death. I, I've never, I've, I've never had that. Well, no, but who, you're so cute. Who would bother you? <laughs> That's a different kind of predator. But we're steering off the topic here. Let's keep it tight because we're going to wrap it up in a couple of minutes and get on with the interview. So let's let's get down to brass tacks here. Um, is there is one side of this coin superior to the other? Very obviously, yes. W what side would that be? My side. <laughs> <laughs> No, but seriously, it's it, it's like anything, chocolate or vanilla, which is better? It's personal preference and what you want to get out of your martial arts. If you want to make a bunch of money, be famous, 
you know, whatever. I then you got several avenues, but that sounds like going to acting, you know, and become another uh, Bruce Lee or whatever. But uh, you know, it depends on what you want it for. To be honest, I would say this: if you want to be a well-rounded martial artist, you can do your traditional, keep all that up. But I would suggest taking maybe a year or a year or two uh, in some sort of MMA just to round out your quote unquote game. You know, they well, always let's, say let's have a general, game. not just MMA, but let's say Shui Jiao and Judo and stuff. Any any martial art that has a sporting element where you can get in and test. Yes. On people. You need to be tested always against live uh, opponents, you know, um, from different styles. But I think a well-rounded martial artist needs to have a ground game. But at the same time, personally, you know, it's not my thing. Um, that's just my own personal thing. And everybody has their own choices to make. I, I don't think there's one better than the other. Right. So, you know, as with any form of physical activity, I would recommend follow the pleasure principle. If you enjoy it enough <laughs> to go do it repeatedly, then it's probably a good thing for you. I thought we weren't going to talk about mashed potatoes. <laughs> no, we're, we're saving the mashed potatoes for later. I got the All bowl right. in the microwave. <laughs> My point I was trying to make is uh, if you don't enjoy what you're doing, it doesn't matter how good it would be for you or how much it would protect you if you did it, you won't do it. Good. You point. know, that, I, that's been the case with me. I enjoy martial arts. I enjoy the group classes. I like that environment. Uh, and, you know, I don't like going to the gym and pushing weights around. Right. So right. you got to get your exercise somehow. So, uh, you know, whether it's sporting or traditional martial arts, science has proven exercise is good for you. <laughs> you can leave everything else aside. If you're getting exercise, you're doing well. And I think both traditional and sporting arts, like you said, Craig, should start to feed back with each other more openly. You know, traditionalists don't stand there with your arms crossed watching this and saying, oh, well, my stuff's too deadly. I'd gouge his eye out and bite his nose off. And, and, you know, <laughs> That's the typical. Rip, rip his trachea out. The red well, you know, unless, <laughs> unless you've ever done that to someone before, you have no idea if you can pull that kind of crap off. But, exactly. you know, on the other hand, sporting martial artists, you shouldn't be looking down your nose at traditionalists. Uh, you know, Without us, you wouldn't have what you have today. Well, right. It's all part of the package, and a lot of the skills that are used in MMA have come from a variety of traditional martial arts. They're just packaged for a different format and a different environment. So good on you for testing that stuff, but remember, you're also testing the stuff that's fairly certain not to kill your opponent. Otherwise, you'd be out of the league. Yeah, indeed. So, you know. Well, in, in, now, in there perspective, was a time. Just to put everything <laughs> in perspective, pretty much every traditional martial art is a mixed martial art in its own right, if you take it from a very literal standpoint. You know, they didn't just come up with this out of nowhere. It's a right. mix of different things. Um, and but, a lot of traditional martial arts, just like sporting arts, are designed for certain fairly narrow contexts, too. True, indeed. So, um, yeah. Well, with all that being said, I think we've got a, a decent start on the subject anyway. We're certainly not going to bridge that chasm permanently. But oh, no. Let's, let's stick our hands out in detente and say, sportists, traditionalists, you guys just... Snuggle, snuggle, punch, punch, and, <laughs> and make up with each other, okay? Do what All you right. do and keep doing it. We're going to take a quick break now and move along to our interview.
Okay, welcome back. We've got Mr. Ellis Amder here to uh, give us some of his insights and opinions on a variety of subjects. Uh, Mr. Amder, why don't you go ahead and uh, tell us what you're all about? That's yeah, too much. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's start with the martial arts. I guess that's what this is about, isn't uh, it? Exactly. Um, I've been training, let's see, about 45 years and uh, started doing backyard karate when I was a kid. And uh, next thing I trained in was uh, uh, what was called Kung Fu Wushu. It was a black Muslim Kung Fu school. They needed a Jewish guy, so I was it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, that was my first example in cross-cultural learning, I guess. That's a good uh, auspicious start. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. That was interesting. Uh, I remember one day... Uh, I was a, we, we did uh, full contact below the neck, and you're supposed to try to pull your punches to the face. And this is the early 70s. And I was in a, a sort of sparring match with the assistant instructor, uh, George H.X. No, that was the instructor, Ron P.X. And, and uh, <laughs> it was pretty, pretty, we got pretty heavy. And uh, I, I outweighed him by about 50 pounds, but he, he was so good. Anyway, so there was this. Uh, um, uh, African-American guy watching, street guy. And uh, I don't mean like uh, homeless or anything like that, but, you know. Yeah, a guy, cat off the street. Guy, yeah. guy had been around more than a few blocks. <laughs> and so we finished training and, uh, you know, just sort of nod each other and gave each other a hug. And the guy goes, what are you hugging that white man for? <laughs> and uh, George, uh, I mean, uh, Ron turns and says, when the revolution starts, we'll be trying to kill each other. <laughs> we're just training together. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that went on for a couple of years, and uh, the head instructor had some unfortunate uh, problems with uh, trustworthiness, morals, and all the rest, and uh, okay. left with the dojo money. With your background, and, we want to address that that type of behavior with you later on in the interview, but I don't want to interrupt your story, but let's make a mental note of that because I think – right. All right. Yeah, let me uh, yeah, go, go ahead. email signals. I'm going to see if I can close my email program while I'm at it. Okay. Uh, there we go. Okay, so uh, so I did go down to New York City, and I was going to go to the headquarters. The headquarters school was uh, run by a guy named Alan Lee, who was probably oh, one of the first Chinese guys to teach uh, non-Chinese. Uh, and it was a hot New York day. I was walking quite a few blocks, I got tired and somehow had remembered that, and I don't remember anything like this, but I remember on 18th Street there was an Aikido school and I was always curious about it because I'd seen this comic book ad uh, It said, throw people with psychic power <laughs> <laughs> and uh, something like that, you know? Right. So I walked in and I'd never liked Japanese martial arts. Uh, I thought it wasn't nearly as fluid or interesting as Chinese martial arts. I'd only seen karate. And Aikido blew me away the first time I saw it. And so I asked if uh, anybody was training or teaching in my area. I lived in New Haven then, and they said they were opening up a school uh, in about a month. So I started training Aikido and started training, really training. I was doing about six hours a day. Hmm. And after two years of that, I went to Japan and continued for another two years. But uh, I was in Japan a very short period of time, and then I happened upon... uh, very old traditional school called Araki-ryu, A-R-A-K-I-R-Y-U. Hmm. 
And Arakiru was pretty much what uh, foot soldiers would do in the 16th century. So it was one of the roots of jujitsu. It was grappling with weapons, all kinds of weapons, everything from spear to sword to uh, naginata, which is a long pole with a curved blade, bow, sarigama, chigiriki, which is a, a, a staff with a chain and a weight on it, a lot of stuff with knife, a lot of stuff with grappling. And uh, it was very rough, very rugged, and I loved it. And so I started doing that. A year later, I started doing Todahabukoryu, which is another what's called Koryu, which are the old, old traditions. And this has also had roots about the same period of time in the past, a very different school. I was uh, training with my then wife, specialized around the Naginata. And, you know, on a radio interview, it's kind of hard to explain what these schools are like. And one way I try to communicate things like that, this is, is sort of symbolic. So you can imagine the spirit, the atmosphere, the attitude in Todahabukodyu when it's done properly, like a Doberman pincher. They're on point, they're forward, it's always forward aggression. Even if they're retreating, they're attacking. Right. Whereas Arakidu was, like uh, was like a wolverine. It's low to the ground, it's nasty, it's funky, they'll, 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 they'll chase the wolves away from the kill, they'll eat as much as they want, and then they'll piss on it so the wolves have nothing to eat. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, it was, you know, it's rough, it's devious. Uh, uh, those, were, those became the two main folk, foci of my study. I discontinued Aikido at that point, that was about 1978. Then over the years, I'd do cross-training. I did a few years of Muay Thai uh, at Koi Gym in, uh, in Tokyo. I uh, did Judo for a number of places. Came back to the States in 88. Uh, I've continued training a lot of stuff. I also was very intrigued by some Chinese martial arts, and off and on, I've trained uh, Xing Yi and uh, uh, Sambagua, Tai Chi. And uh, probably in the last few years, just to sort of finish this, I got sort of came back to the whole concept of something which I'd heard about all these years and been disappointed in every time I came close to it, which was the so-called topic of internal strength, which for the most part I found bogus. And then I actually met some people who could actually deliver. And uh, what I got very intrigued in was I really didn't want to learn new forms. But I wanted to learn the technology. And I've been working with a fella, a friend of mine named Mike Sigmund, <laughs> uh, who some people find is a rather controversial figure. He's, he's actually one of the most generous people I know, although he's going to get real pissed that I said that about him. <laughs> <laughs> the pong path, yeah. He's a- and uh, um, what, what I've done working with Mike is uh, the little bit that I've achieved in this is uh, he's trying to find the, the technology, to, the gears inside this without worrying about, gee, do I have to learn every one of the 17 forms in X uh, style of Bagua or whatever. Right. And what I've been able to do in a limited fashion, because I'm still scratching the surface, is uh, whether it was in the arts that I've trained all these years once upon a time, or they just are a very good vessel to put it in the arts, I've, re- I've radically changed the way I train and the way I express power. And... Uh, I'm 60 now, and I would say, you know, I I can't bench press nearly as much, but I can hit a lot harder. And uh, so this has given me a new lease on training life. 
Well, that's very interesting. I mean, as long as we've loosed the acrobat and the polio word here, we might as well address it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, when you talk about internal power, uh, what exactly do you mean? Uh, are you talking, uh, I think I, I put it in the notes to you, you know, do you, do you, is it, is it chi? Is it a mystical force or is it a pre-scientific paradigm for a group of exercises and methods that produce uh, a perfectly natural, but extraordinary result? It's the latter. Um, you know, look, if there's a, if there's a supernatural force and somebody shows it to me, I'll go to your church. <laughs> you know, but, but what we're talking about is technology. And unfortunately, when you try to, uh, when you have a word like chi, okay, so what's chi? People say oh, it's energy, but the root word is breath. Mm-hmm. So that suggests it has something to do with breath training. But so how can breath make you stronger? Well, if you breathe in certain patterns, it's not that it affects your body mystically. It provides exercise. And the internal exercises, if you breathe in a certain pattern while adjusting your musculature in a certain pattern, you start exercising the connective tissue. So that, I believe, is one aspect of internal strength, strengthening the fascia and the connective tissue through uh, certain exercises. A second component is going to be jin. Uh, and Japanese would refer to jin as e or will. And what that means is directed attention to coordinate your body so that you're firing the right, if you will, the right muscles and nerves in a sequence that leads to the most efficient use of movement. I mean, I think one of the most wonderful illustrations of this is uh, Chen Mengqing, who got a lot better press, but he was still a great man. You know, he probably wasn't Superman. You know, right. Like Robert's going to say. But, well, I heard know, he, he couldn't bowl worth a damn, so. That <laughs> <laughs> I was going to make. You know, here's a guy who he caught you right. He could pop you three feet into the air and bounce you off a wall. But he tried bowling and found he didn't like it because the ball was too heavy. (laughs) So it's that isn't to say you couldn't have somebody like Wang Shuqin who wasn't also really physically powerful. But I think it's a fair theory that um, if you are power proud, it might get in the way of doing something else, uh, of retraining yourself. Uh, I think that Ueshi Bomorihei in Aikido had that problem. That man was unbelievably powerful, five foot one, 170 pounds when he was young. And the problem is you can lift somebody uh, with one arm without any, quote, internal strength. Right. And he said himself that uh, it took him a long time to catch what they call Aiki because he was too strong. Now, that doesn't mean he should get weak. It means that if you get attached to that method of expressing power, it's going to be hard to learn something else. Right. It's, it's hard to get a bodybuilder to relax. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. some people are so high toned that they physically, you know, almost can't relax in the same way that we're talking about when we're, but it can be done because right. think as opposed to a bodybuilder, you know, who have a, have a poor training for function. How about an Olympic weightlifter? Well, that's a different Olympic animal. <laughs> nerve system fires faster than any, any athlete. Right. Yeah. Um, what was the name? Alexeyev, who used to be the Olympic champion, Russian guy. The man yeah. had a, 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 probably weighed 350 pounds or something like that, a huge belly, and he could high jump at least five foot eight. Wow. Good grief. <laughs> yeah, so. That's right. Well, I, I saw a, uh, a study that was done not too long ago where uh, they f- tested several different 
exercise methods to see what improved people's jumping ability the most. Mm -hmm. And the one that worked out was a basic Olympic weightlifting program showed the most improvement over basketball or, you know, uh, several different things that actually included a lot of jumping in the sport. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't mean by that, that, uh, you know, uh, that's, that's, although you, you, you can integrate, uh, 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 your body pretty well in weightlifting. I'm not suggesting that that alone is internal power type thing, but I'm also saying that uh, although for some people an attachment to the strength you have can get in the way of of, of, of really learning the essence of this of this kind of martial art, uh, it's not necessarily so. I mean, quite honestly, most of the great alleged internally strong people I've seen were just good athletes. And I was really disappointed. I mean, did any of them try to do tricks or anything to make what they did appear more mystical? Or, or how did uh, they get was, the claim that they had internal power in the first place? Well, because if you have a person who's fluid, athletic, and does a pretty cool set of Chinese techniques, say the, the applications of Bagua, right. who's to say them nay unless you put arms on them and then when they try to do something, you're able to neutralize them with a very minimal movement of your own. And you're saying, wait a minute, that was... <laughs> if you use a Japanese term, that was jujitsu, and that's great. It's not bad. So uh, it sounds like uh, when you, when you're talking about internal power, at least as far as the application of these physical skills goes, uh, the system sort of has to be designed to optimize that as well. Is, am I correct in hearing that? Mm, I don't know if that's true. I mean, it certainly helps. You know, I think you could, uh, so long as you have the right principles and training methodologies, you could take a very external, quote-unquote, type of art and train it in an internal manner uh, to develop that internal strength if that's what you'd like to do. And that's th what I'm suggesting. Um, no, it's my Araki who doesn't look any different now. Okay. Yeah, you know, you know, it doesn't look any different to anybody from the outside, but boy, it feels different. Mm-hmm. And you get feedback from people you work with that are telling you it feels different yeah. on them, too. Okay, yeah. great. Yeah. I, it's, I find this very intriguing, and I'm glad you're coming at it from a more skeptical pers perspective because I, you know, I'm, a, I'm a very skeptical person to the point of irritation to most of my friends. So I've virtually given up on discussing even anything involving chi or you know, uh, mysterious powers, but it sounds like you're not talking about a mysterious power. You're talking no. about something that's just a different way of using body mechanics. Yeah. I don't know if I, I don't know if this will be able to show on, on the screen. Just a second here. So I'm back. What I have here is a, uh, it's a seven foot long, um, inch and a half thick extruded nylon pole. Okay. okay. And, and for the listeners, I am looking at this. <laughs> right? So I'm going to just try to show, watch the, I don't know if I can. I can't see both ends at once, but when. Right, I, I just want to show you one end. and Okay. So if I'm here. Okay. Right. Right? Right. And yeah, you can see the movement, right? Yes. I'm not moving much, right? Right. Now, I'm not doing anything mystical, right? right? If I were to hold it, so I'm going to hold it out straight, just watch the end. Right. Okay. Now, if I show you the middle, my arm hasn't moved. Right. right? Or very so, minimally so. Yeah, it's very minimal, right? Right. What, and, and really what's moving, it starts with a couple points. Um, I'm using my spine. 
right? right. And I'm moving uh, my base. I'm using the ground. I'm pushing off the ground, and I'm not interfering with the ground, you know, the push off the ground, right? Right. And, and that's where a lot of the training is to develop the right base so you can transmit force off the ground and it goes in uninterrupted. When they talk about relaxation, they don't mean this, right? Right, not limbness. It's, it's so, you know, a singing punch, right? Right. That I can, and it's a recent development where I can, I can, I can make somebody regret me doing that to their chest. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm starting by touching them. Uh, There's nothing mystical about that at all. Right. Using a spinal wave uh, relaxation to transfer power from the ground directly to the target. Right. That sort of thing. And my main task now is, I'm, you know, a friend of mine puts it, I'm still leaving too much change on the table. I'm really working on base. Uh, to be able to transmit force from the ground without any interference in my hip joints or my knees or anything like that. I've got a long way to go, but even the little bit I've done has really improved in some way. I mean, hell, I even used this one time in grappling. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm cross-training with a guy. Uh, I teach him Araki do sword, and he teaches me BJJ. I've been doing that for a year. And he is so much better than I am. He's incredible. But one time we're doing a, you know, so, you know, he's sort of like uh, uh, a spider with <laughs> bug, you know, <laughs> and I even get, sometimes I even get claustrophobic because he's, <laughs> he's anticipating where I'm going next. So before I've even moved. Right. But one time we got in a position where um, uh, somehow I ended up with my head in his abdomen and I figured, what the hell? And I did one of these spinal waves and you know, I had a little foot on the ground. And knocked the wind out of him, you know, and I had contact. So there it is using, you know, at least for one moment, I was able to use some of the internal stuff in a grappling situation. Very nice. nice. Yeah. So that was cool. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. I'm glad we talked on this uh, subject because it's something that pops up all the time, you know, online or in-person discussions. And it, it really sucks because a lot of the the old methodologies and everything are extremely valid from an anatomical and physiological point of view. It's just, it stinks because you get all this new agey type of stuff surrounding it. And then, mm-hmm. you know, people see it in that package, unfortunately, and not see it for what it really is, you know. It's just a very interesting physical technology. Mm-hmm. That's all. Right. All right. Well, God, I think we, the, that was the thorniest subject on my list, and that went really well. <laughs> Everybody still likes each other. All right. Well, um, oh, one quick question I wanted to back up when you were talking about, is, is it Araki Ryu? Am I close? Yeah. I mean, it, it's tough to pronounce right because the Japanese R is half of a D. It's Araki Ryu. Yeah. Araki Ryu. Yeah, I'm not even going to okay, try. Close enough. Um, <clears throat> I'm not a Japanese man, and I've never pretended to be one. Uh, uh, you were talking about that being, a, you know, a, a, a very battle. It almost sounded like a brigands art kind of uh, a battlefield or a, a martial thing that was very mm-hmm. weapons heavy. Uh, yes. How did they integrate the empty hand with that? Because I've talked to people like, uh, I don't know if, uh, if you've ever met Kilton. Longer I have met yeah, and he's he's a human Cuisinart, but his system, you know, is very battlefield oriented and and mm-hmm. uh, Manipur. And he said, "Oh, empty hand." They just toss that off at the end. He's like, "If you lose your weapon, you're you're cooked." Well, here's the thing. Um, I can't speak 
to the conditions in Manipur. Right. The conditions in Japan, however, if you are on a battlefield, there's a couple things. The battlefield's covered with muck, and you're wearing armor. And you collide with people, you end up grabbing onto them. And before you know it, you're grappling, and you didn't want to be grappling, right. but there you are. Or how about if you're a peasant, which Arakiryu was really, it wasn't a peasant art, but it was a low-class art. Well, that means you have no money, so you don't buy kit. You might have a uh. couple pieces of armor that you scavenge from somewhere, and you have what would be called a skyste, which means use and throw away, a piece of cheap metal attached to a, a, a pole, or you might just have a bow. And they say, good luck to you, son. Right. <laughs> and you go out on the battlefield half naked, and what you're trying to do is get somebody from behind, stun them, or run up on somebody who's been knocked down, and then you're wrestling with them to do two things, to stab them with your, uh, 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 your tanto, which is a, a, a short knife, right. or um, rest their weapon away so now you're armed. So you went on the battlefield with a bow and you go off with a spear if you survived. And their armor, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. So the, 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 the Japanese buge, the old martial arts, they, they, they approached things from two aspects. Some of them were pure weapons arts because they're more aristocratic. And they really didn't expect to end up in the muck. Mm -hmm. um, and another subset would have an adjunct of a few grappling techniques. And another subset, things like takanuchi ryu, araki ryu, shoshoryu, started with a base of grappling with weapons and expanding it outward to weapons. So in a sense, the way I would put it is it's like sumo with weapons. You hmm. have the same body organization that you would if you were a sumo wrestler. Okay. Low to the ground in a squat. Uh. Um, you, now here's the thing. Uh, most people, when they make contact, one weapon to another, the thought is, oh, I make contact. I got to slip and move some other direction. Mm -hmm. Right. I've got to, you know, I got to counter what they did. Whereas the grappling based schools are like, once I make contact, I'm going to stick to you. I'm going to crush you. I'm not deviating. Right. So the cut doesn't stop just because something's in the way. I so see. their attitude is the closer, the better. That makes yeah. sense. Especially if you're working in a, again, in a muddy environment with armored people that are easy to grapple. Yeah. Now, the irony is when I do Toda Habuko, do you, everything's the opposite. We want never to get our clothes dirty on another person. So, <laughs> yeah, a total different physical. It's very schizophrenic. I mean, uh, it's certainly true one can cross-train, but if one decides to do two classical Japanese martial arts, it is like simultaneously trying to learn existentialism and Wittgenstein. Uh, different <laughs> philosophies, and you've got to hold them both in your brain. Yeah. And most people fail at it. What they end up doing is learning generic bujutsu, mm. bujutsu martial art. That's a low level. They run together whatever sticks in their head. and Yeah, or even if they, they – in other words, they'll do the form from two different arts. But what happens is they contaminate each other and not in a productive way. Okay. Because there are certain essentials of, uh, uh, in each one of these martial arts. Uh, it's not just a core metaphor. It's not a way of thinking. But until you get the essential, you can't really use the technique. And if you're trying to do two at the same time, uh, that cross-fertilization means you'll be mediocre at both. I, uh, I think that can apply to just about <clears throat> any pair of arts. Uh, oh, yeah. 
Uh, I, I attempted Shingy and Bogwat at the same time, and after three months of that, I realized I had to pick one and mm-hmm. focus on that if I intended to get very good at it. Even though they're that close. Even though they're two sides exactly. of the same coin. Yeah. yeah. But nonetheless, and it is true, A, if one is uh, crazy enough and wants to put in enough hours and is able to keep the split, Right. When I do singy, I do only singy. When I do bagua, I only do bagua. It is conceivable at, at a point that that, uh, shall I say, bifurcated consciousness, you keep that, and then in conflict, they merge without you thinking about it. Right. Um, you know, for example, uh, uh, there's a fellow named Su Dong Chen who I studied with. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was one of Hong Yishang's students. Mm-hmm. And he's rather contra- he's a real fighter. And the thing is, whatever he touches becomes Su Dong Chen. And his Bagua, yeah. Tai Chi, his, you know, and he has the forms differently. And I'm not saying he's the best person on the face of the earth, but I'm saying that what happens is it all in this kind of internal alchemy becomes something usable to him. Well, right. He owns the style rather than trying to take some brittle representation of it forward. It sounds like he's made it very much his own. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is important to keep, you know, these are supposed to be living arts, right? Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. they ossify and you're only trying to mimic your teacher as you go forward, then your style pretty much dies at that branch. And that's a, that's a really tough thing because um, there's a certain point, if your teacher really has something, there's a certain point where you, if you want to catch up to him, you have to be pervasively influenced mm-hmm. by him. Yeah, they just infect you. Yeah. Uh, most people say, oh, I'm going to be creative too soon when they don't know very much. The problem, however, with being infected by another human being is they're flawed people. Right. Mm-hmm. right. And they can pull a guru on you and right. put stuff it, into it, your head. And There's some people who are going to do that. There are other people who it's just you're around them too much and their character starts to stick to you because where's the influence stop? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's a really tough struggle. It's not a tough struggle if you, uh, hey, I just want to train. This is cool. But if you say, I would really like to get what that guy has. I want to be better than him. I want to catch up. I want to surpass him. And he's unbelievably good. Then you have to, it, it's a tough process because you end up influenced by them. You can't avoid it. Right. But and I think that, your best, teach, best teachers know that too. And they, they, <clears throat> they play off that dynamic some. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, try to- and the not-so-best teachers also play off. That. Oh, well, that's the <laughs> problem. You know, we're, uh, we don't want to keep you on this interview all night. Uh, I'm having a great time with this. But they, since we've hit on that yet again, and, you know, we do a news segment on, on the show, and virtually, and every time we've done it so far, there's a story about an abusive martial arts teaser, whether it's, mm-hmm. you know, the guy at the Taekwondo school that had a year long affair with, you know, uh, a 13 year old girl or, you know, it goes on and on. There's the, the, the amount of abusive behavior is just, I mean, possibly second only to certain religious institutions. <laughs> uh, what's going on with it? Cause I know you have a, a, a lot of psychological background and yeah. maybe you can help enlighten us all as to why this seems to be such a pitfall for for martial arts instructors? Well, because of the power differential. Right. Um, now, there's different kinds of abuse. Uh, there's going to be the kind of, uh, the JFK, Bill Clinton kind of moral turpitude. you got a young girl who you know you can influence because you're a powerful male, mm-hmm. and it's, 
if she likes you, what could possibly be wrong about it, right? Because one is intoxicated with one's own power. So that's, there's that level of just sleaziness. Uh-huh. Then you have the level of predatory abuse. Uh, the most recent prominent example is Harry Cook. Harry Cook is, one of, is the greatest scholar of karate in the 20th century. Harry Cook uh, wrote the definitive book on Shotokan. He's a brilliant man. And he was a tough guy, too. I met him, uh, must be about 15 years ago. I liked him. He was a man's man, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And it's just come out last year. It started out, well, um, he was involved in something with a younger student. Well, it sort of spread, and he's facing, I don't know how long a prison sentence. They found the largest collection of child pornography in the history of England of 55,000 oh, 55, images. He has serially abused children, uh, young children, over and over again. And the thing is, uh, you know, it shock, the thing that shocked me the most is I'm a professional in assessing people like this. <laughs> and he would have been the guy I went to if I heard somebody else did it to commiserate. The problem we have is, is that the sociopath, All right. and, and you think of the pedophile as a, a functional sociopath who can sector off the abuse from the rest. The, the, it's perfect camouflage. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you don't see you a leopard see coming. in shade, right? And the weird thing is this is the kind of leopard who basically hides in the light. Um, they know how to play people. That's what they do. That's the one thing that they are expert at. And the, and the people that run in their circles walk in with an automatic degree of awe for them that helps blind exactly. them to a lot of this stuff. Uh, right. So a predator is going to go where there's vulnerability. And the one thing about martial arts is a lot of people come to martial arts because they say, you know, I don't feel strong. I don't feel safe. Mm-hmm. And that is the perfect person to victimize. Yeah, true, true. Terrible as it is, it's, it, it, it's true. So the only thing, you know, it's... I mean, can, can you give yeah. us any warning signs that people could look out for? I mean, I, you you just pointed out how difficult it can be, but yeah, okay. Um, the one thing is first impression. I would highly recommend everybody reads the book Blink by Malcolm Gladwell oh, about yeah. our first book. impression. Very often, what will happen is when you let's say you take your kid to a martial arts school, and your first impression is not positive, mm-hmm. but as soon as the guy or woman starts talking to you. Um, they're one step ahead of you in allaying your fears. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one way to sort of understand what I'm talking about is what happens when you go to a used car lot to buy a car? You know that in the beginning you may not like the person, but within 10 minutes you're laughing with them because they're a predator at that moment. I'm sorry, (laughs) used car dealer, you know, and you probably treat your your family nice and all. But I've only once in my life met a used car dealer who 100% was looking out for me. And you know what he did? He told me, don't buy here, go somewhere else. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you tipped him at least. (laughs) He would have, I mean, the guy was so stand-up, he would have been insulted, you know? Okay. Um, but, so the one thing is, if, you, if your first impression is negative, don't talk yourself out of it. The second thing is, um, if you've got younger kids, you're going to be dropping in the dojo. You're going to be teaching them, you know, not just these 
See, if you just say, watch out for strangers, the first thing they say is, I'm not a stranger. My name's Jimmy. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, so in other words, you're, you're te- it's, it's important that the parent um, uh, teaches their child integrity. Mm-hmm. What is your own physical integrity? Um, teaches the child that they have a right to fight back. That's undermined by the school system. You get me started on this, you know? Yeah. It's like now kids who fight back are suspended. I know of a school in Washington State where the rule is you're not allowed to hit another kid back unless you've been hit four times. What? Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. ridiculous. I know. It's ridiculous. So I told my children, I say, if anybody picks on you, you hit them back, you win, and I'll take care of whatever happens next. There yeah. you go. Right? Yeah. Judged so, by 12 so, rather than carried by six. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, the kind of warning signs you look for is also boundary trespass. Boundary trespass is one. If you stop and think, would I be this familiar with someone? Would I be standing so close to someone? Would I be talking in such intimate terms? You know, it's like anything that, 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 that puts you off, puts you off center is, is, is like a warning sign. But sad to say, the other thing is, um, if you want your child, I mean, honestly, if I had my child in Little League, if I had my child in karate class or whatever, I'd be one of those parents who's the assistant, who assists with the field trips and things like that. Be involved. Don't use the karate school as a babysitter. As a drop-off daycare dump. Yeah. 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 It's unfortunate. So many do that, though. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, if I if I enrolled my ch- children in school, I would strike up a conversation with the other parents about the issue. I might even sort of say, you know, can we have a meeting? You know, sort of, and almost putting the teacher on notice. You know, let's have a meeting about protecting our children from pedophiles. Nice. <laughs> you know? See how they react to yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. There's a wonderful book by Gavin De Becker. He wrote one called The Gift of Fear, but he has a sequel called Protecting the Gift, which is how to teach your child. Uh, to watch out for warning signs, and it's got great chapters on how to in, uh, interview a daycare to see if they're protecting your children properly, things like that. But oh, it's that's called really Protecting cool. the Gift by Gavin DeBecker. Take that down. We'll, we'll link to all this stuff in the show notes when the podcast comes out. <laughs> okay. So yeah. everybody listening can find this for themselves. Uh, and, yeah, that's, that's actually really great advice. And, I mean, ju- just to reinforce the first piece of it, go with your gut at a first meeting. Uh, mm-hmm. There's so much good research now at how much we do in our heads subconsciously that never even percolates to the surface, or if it does, it percolates up unclearly into your conscious mind. And if you get a bad feeling about something, you're always safer to just turn around yeah. and walk away. Yeah, you know, it's uh, the, the the primitive areas of the brain function on pattern recognition. Mm-hmm. And once we got civilized, we started to reject the whole idea of pattern recognition because it seems so crude and unfair and judgmental and all that sort of thing. Well, we still are hyper pattern recognizers all the time anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, let, uh, again, I don't want to keep you on here all night, uh, but let Look, me... I'm, not, I'm enjoying myself. I'm not doing anything else. Okay, <laughs> cool. I'm cool. Well, let me flip to the other side of this coin then. If you are a martial arts instructor or someone, you know, uh, teaching martial arts, how do you protect yourself and be on the lookout for students who come in with psychological issues that, as, as I've found, and you probably have too, can boil up, you know, at a mere touch or a bump or even just talking about scenarios, sometimes people just 
have really strong reactions. I mean, I'm not a psychologist. I have no training in that. So, you know, how, how could somebody who's a martial arts teacher but doesn't have the same skills that you do, what are some basics that they can use to try to, you know, uh, minimize or mitigate those circumstances when they, they do come up? Well, you know, uh, first of all, if somebody comes, you know, I have it easy because I'm not commercial. I only teach people that I want to teach. If yeah, any, yeah. You know, if anybody doesn't suit my criteria, it's like, well, this isn't for you. I'm not for you. Go, go, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I can be really committed to somebody uh, because they become like family once they're in. But if somebody is manifesting anything which is disruptive of the group, I don't want them there, right? Um one of the problems with many martial arts schools is they see themselves as social service agencies. And, okay. you know, and that's ridiculous. So that's the first thing. My state, what I would say to any teacher is if they have a student who's manifesting psychological difficulties. So let's talk about what kind of difficulties they could be manifesting. Um, they've got abuse issues. Mm-hmm. And so they bring that up. They say, well, I, I can't be touched, uh, you know, because I was raped when I was a kid or my husband, I just escaped from my abusive husband, they probably shouldn't be in an open martial arts class. You know? Good point. Uh, What I would say to somebody like that is, um, what I want you to do is I want you, I got a therapist I would recommend to you. You've got some work to do. And when you finish the work, come back. We'll talk. Okay? In other words, this isn't about... The individual's entitlement. It is about a martial art should be about fostering the strength of a group. Right. And even if the if a person's a victim, if they are disrupting the strength of the group, if they're disrupting the learning of the group, then it's their responsibility to get strong enough to fit with the group. It is should never be an untrained teacher's responsibility to take to try to heal that person. And furthermore, here I am, you know, my, my profession is I'm a crisis intervention specialist. I do psychological work. But that's called a dual relationship. If I'm teaching martial arts, I will not be doing therapy with you, right? Okay. And it, you know, so even if you have the training, you shouldn't. Well, I read an older article of yours where you, at one point in time, were working with therapists mm-hmm. uh, to do, uh, you know, self-defense training or, or uh, I, actually you should probably describe that you'll yeah once upon a time i I did something called therapeutic self-defense and what it was it it, it got it what happened is i taught a women's self-defense course and i was teaching some pretty simple practical ways to really hurt somebody if they tried to hurt you and there was this one woman who went through the entire course she was probably the best person there and the last thing i was doing was teaching a battle cry you know, but how mm-hmm. do you yell in somebody's face? So I was teaching, I was just saying no, you know, and she couldn't bring herself to say no. Uh-huh. And she goes running out of the, the, the group and I went running after her and said, you have made things so much worse for me because I thought I'd be strong enough. But here, if, 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 if my rapist is her own father, if he went after me again, I know I can't say no. And what it struck me was a person's psychological blocks can keep them from taking in learning that to you is obvious. And so what I tried to develop was a, uh, a method for victims of abuse who are in a therapy group 
to use the martial arts training so those issues of power could be illuminated. So, for example, what would happen, we'd be in the group, I would be teaching martial arts techniques, and if somebody started to get anxious, angry, frightened, disturbed, you take your pick, the therapist would break out with that person, help them self-soothe, help them center themselves, and then come back to the group. And so the, the individuals knew they were all safe because they had a wingman. Right. Right? The therapist. Uh-huh. And the whole idea of this would be just to illuminate Beyond talking about power, you have to experience power, not only the power that the abuser has, but what it feels like to no longer have to identify yourself as weak and powerless. And that can be very scary because the tragedy is the person survived by being what they are. Right. By Whatever. Defini- yeah. By <laughs> definition, right? Uh-huh. And so if you're asking them to be something else, it's like free fall. They knew they survived by being a weak victim. They're right? putting themselves at risk again by having to adopt a new strategy. Right. Yeah, because they don't know how that strategy results, right? So mm-hmm. the idea is to illuminate that so that the person does learn things like they leave group and some guy hits on them and they're able to say, I'm not interested, and they go home, right? And they, you know, they have the integrity mm-hmm. to say that. Um, then when they graduate from the therapy group, then it's time to go, say, to a women's self-defense class or maybe into a martial arts class, something like that. Right. Now, I did that for a little while, and I've had a standing offer to teach and train people on how to do that. Nobody's ever taken me up on it, which I really regret because I'd love to sort of pass this on. It's not, you know, I'm professionally pretty busy. Uh, I don't make any money teaching martial arts. Uh, so this is something I've wanted to give away for a long time, and nobody's nobody's picked up on it. All but, right. Hi, all uh, listeners. Uh, there's your chance <laughs> right there. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's fantastic. You know what? We've had you on for nearly an hour now, and, and uh, I'm having a great time with this too. But, uh, you know, we'll, uh, we'll have to call an end to it at some point. And we would love to get you back on because there's so many other things that you've done that we would love to discuss with you. But before we go, because this has all been fairly serious and, and uh, you know, straightforward, would you regale us with just either the worst or the goofiest or the dumbest or possibly the most off-color uh, martial arts anecdote you can come up with? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I'll tell you the best. Okay. Uh, Sweet. Yeah. Okay, so I, I used to, uh, uh, when I was training in Aikido, uh, I used to carry my practice uniform in a, what's called a furoshiki, which is basically a big uh, uh, handkerchief, right? And you tie it, you fold your gi, you tie it up. Like a hobo on the end of a stick. You'd carry. No, yeah. I'm sorry. I mean- <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's kind of, it, it had kind of a swagger. It was real old school. And mm-hmm. here's this big white guy walking around Japan like that. And uh, I was, uh, I had a, uh, um, my black belt it was old enough that it turned gray, you know. So, which those know, are the good ones. Those around the grayer, the better, right? Yeah. Um, so what was what happened was one day I'd gone to Aikido class, and then I went and I was working out in Muay Thai. I was doing kickboxing, and I, I was beat up and I was tired. And I get on this train, and there are no seats, and I'm like, ah, oh, damn! I gotta, <laughs> I gotta stand the whole way. And I see this guy, he's kind of a, a punk, right? You know, he's, a, he's got this artificially curled hair, which is a signal of being a gangster back in Japan when I was there. <laughs> and he's got his legs nice. spread. He's taken up two seats. So, oh, damn. So I looked at him. He just sort of looked at me. So I put my uh, bundle, my furoshiki, up above his head, and I sat on his leg. 
<laughs> so love it. At the last minute, he yanks his leg away and he's looking at me like, "What the what the hell, right?" And so I just smiled at him and then you know just kicked back. I was tired. So uh, I see him leaning out of the corner of my eye. I see him leaning over and he's talking to somebody. And what I see is sitting on the other side of him is a really pretty girl. Oh, she's so lovely. Lovely Japanese girl. <laughs> and I thought, wow, how'd she hook up with him? But I realized she hasn't because on the other side is another, they're called chimpira. It's like a, a low-class hanger-on punk who hangs around Yakuza. Mm. And so there's another of these guys. And they're talking. And they're sort of talking about what they like to do to women in generic generality. Oh, across her? Object of that. And then they shift to talking about me and how, you know, uh, uh, big form, that big gaijin, you know, screw him, you know. Yeah, he's got some size, but we Japanese have spirit, right? We could take him. We could take him. <laughs> and so they're going on and on and on on this. And I'm sort of working themselves up. And the gods of karma just decided that this would be kind of interesting. And the shaking of the train had opened up my uh, handkerchief. <laughs> and I don't know how, you know, I had my black belt sort of rolled up. And like one shake of the train and the thing, it unfurled like a Indian <laughs> tongue. And it drops down and it's just sort of swinging like a pendulum in front of this guy's eyes. <laughs> <laughs> And he's sort of looking at it. And I said, oh, excuse me. And I sort of stand up over and I'm sort of rolling it up. I said, man, that thing's always got a life of its own because I can speak Japanese and all. And he's looking at me and I sat back down. I start grinning at the two of them like, okay, we can go. We can go. <laughs> and the train comes to the next station. They sort of look at me like, oh, shit. And they run off the train. Well, this has been my dream my whole life, right? Because I have just finally, I have rescued the fair maiden. I'm <laughs> right? And I'm not hooked up with anybody. This is, it's, this is everything I've ever wanted in life. Mm -hmm. And so I smiled at her. And she looked at me. And she goes, <gasps> and she runs off the train. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, that's, that is good. Can't, can't win for losing there. No. Oh. <laughs> she was afraid of your black belt, sir. Yeah, that must have been it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't have been my looks. <laughs> well, uh, no, no, you're a handsome double. We've got you on video here. Uh, so, um, that's fantastic. Before we wrap this up, can you, uh, you know, just, uh, uh, you're an author. You've got three books out there, Dueling with Osensei, Hidden in Plain Sight, and Old School. Hidden in Plain Sight's the newest one, correct? Right. Actually, I got, uh, shoot, I got 11 books out now. Well, I wow. was going to count in the psychology stuff later, but right. uh, go right. ahead and tell us all about it. All right. So real, real quick, I've got three martial art books out. The oldest one, Dueling with Osensei, addresses some of these issues of morality and your martial art teacher is a guru. Um, what are the feet of clay that the great men have? Uh, and it's, it's semi-autobiographical about part of my time in Japan. Old School is a set of essays on classical, traditional martial arts in Japan. Uh, it, has, it discusses a few unusual weapons like the chigiriki, uh, the chain and staff and all, or sarigama, chain and sickle. It talks about a certain s special schools, talks about the role of women in Japanese martial history, uh, the role of bledos, things like that. The cool. third book, Hidden in Plain Sight, was my attempt to, uh, in a sense, intellectually recover the whole subject of internal training as it was embedded in Japanese martial arts. 
And starting out with uh, the Jujutsu in the Middle Ages, up through Takeda Sokaku, the famous teacher of Daitoryu, and then through Aikido. Um, I will say, you know, there's certain parts of that book that are kind of thick if you're not fully into Aikido. It's beautifully written, if I must say so myself. <laughs> well, it sounds but, interesting uh, as hell, the topic. Yeah. Um, so, and then I've written a series of eight books which are, in fact, relevant because they are. Uh, it's the application of martial principle to uh, conflicted human interchange. Each book is the same book written for a different population. It's how do you talk to an emotionally disturbed, mentally ill, or uh, aggressive individual? How do you de-escalate them? How do you control them? And each book is the same book written for a different profession. Some of them are co-written. So I got one for cops, got one for parole probation, one for hospitals, one for social service. I got one for families who live with mentally ill people. Then I got a couple for a work site, one for 911 call takers. And I got two more coming out this year, uh, one for jail and one for prison. So depending on your station in life, one of those books may be very relevant. What I did was um, each chapter is also a standalone chapter. So let's imagine you are a martial arts instructor mm -hmm. and you've got a young man who the parents say he's got Asperger's syndrome, uh, got a rigid personality, a stiff kind of nerdy kid, very over-focused, a little obsessive, mm -hmm. and sometimes he loses his temper, and you've got a children's class. Well, there's one chapter specific to the rigid personality. What happens if you have somebody that you encounter that you're aware that they're in a manic state, a super excited, grandiose, aggressive state? Now, it doesn't matter if they have manic depressive illness or they're on speed. They act the same. So this right. is a book on behavior, not causes. It's mm -hmm. not on diagnosis. When you see certain behaviors, it says, this is the best way I know to control this individual so they're not a threat. Which, so, which one of those I, in, oh, I'm sorry. Which one of those no, in particular would you recommend for the martial artist? Uh, the police? Uh, the, or would they benefit from a broad overview of some um, of those? You know, if you're asking about the, the de-escalation books, Yes. Uh, what I would say is probably the book Safety at Work is the one that's most generic. Okay. Uh, it's written for HR, it's written for corporate security, corporate management, but you're in a position, unlike a law enforcement officer, where you don't have the option of higher uses of force unless you know, you're in defense of your life. And you don't need the social services book because there's a, maybe 20,000 extra words on clinical issues that you don't need. So I would say either safety at work, that'd probably be the one that's most germane to uh, individuals in a, a martial art teaching situation. You know, I wish I had access to something like that when I was an animal control officer in my 20s in D.C. back when it was the, you know, crack epidemic boom town, and, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Because you had the same issues as the police have with having to go into bad places and deal with bad people, but I didn't have any backup or any firearms. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could have really used a few more psychological uh, uh, weapons in the bag or yeah. defensive weapons, I should say. Mm -hmm. So if anybody's interested, my books can be, uh, and anybody wants access to any of my professional services, I do a lot of training for uh, uh different agencies on control and de-escalation of aggression. I do consultation when people are in dangerous situations, if they're being stalked, uh, or if you have a dangerous employee, things like that. At any rate, uh, my website is www.edgework, E-D-G-E-W-O-R-K dot info, I-N-F-O. 
Okay. And we'll link to that in the show notes as well so people can go right oh. there and click. And I guess the only other thing is if people are actually interested in the martial arts I train in, I have separate websites. Uh, the Arakiryu site is A-R-A-K-I-R-Y-U.org, Arakiryu.org. The Todahabukoryu site is T-O-D-A-H-A-B-U-K-O-R-Y-U.org. So that's excellent. Where I live online. <laughs> <laughs> that's where the people go to visit nowadays. I'm, I'm so yeah. glad you spelled those out, by the way, because I, I would never have been I would never been able to find <laughs> find the websites otherwise. He's probably pretty used to that by now. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, it's, it's been really great to talk to you, and I hope someday you will come back and talk to us again because, uh, literally, we could do this for hours. from the mysterious world of martial arts coming to you live. Craig, take it away. Th- that means you. That, oh, that's <laughs> me. Sorry, sorry. Is this thing on yet? <laughs> are you on? <laughs> what are you on? I'll tell you what. I'm on a little bit of Jennifer Lopez or I wish I was. No, I'll tell you. <laughs> She's uh, actually part of our news, believe it or not, in the world of martial arts. We, well, had, hey, you know we what? had Keanu last time. Th- so. You know hey. what? To, to, to be fair, with, with an ass that large, we could all very well be on Jennifer <laughs> Lopez and not be aware. I'll tell you what. <laughs> if we were flower pots. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, a little bit uh, last year in the ending of the year around November, she was actually uh, spotted down in Uruguay at Playa de los Ingles, the Englishmen's beach. Uh, she was spotted doing, believe it or not, some capoeira. Nice. Um, yeah. I can see that in my mind's eye. Was, uh, it, was it naked capoeira? Uh, uh, no. I'm seeing it naked regardless half, if that was the case or not, actually. Halfway. <laughs> <laughs> she uh, she actually was wearing blue jeans and a a red top that uh, showed quite a bit of the midriff uh, and some sunglasses. She kicked off her high heels and got to jingan and all that good stuff with the capoeira folks down there. I love there. capoeira. This is something to watch. It's it's pretty fantastic. It is, it is, especially when you have somebody like J Lo doing it. You know, she's probably doing it all wrong and whatever. But uh, it doesn't I don't matter. <laughs> I recorded some capoeira chants actually. Um, when I was in school, and I, they didn't even have to do any of it. Just the stuff that they were doing in the room with the recording, and the dude was chanting, and it was badass, and I could just see them, you know, flipping and all the <laughs> shit it is that they do, like, in my head while it was going on. It was spectacular. Very cool. It's also a big part of the reason I like Tekken 3, but we'll get into that some other time. <laughs> <laughs> Too deep a window into Jeremy's head. <laughs> yeah, she uh, she actually it was on her last stop in uh, South America. She's uh, she's got a reality TV show, believe it or not, 
uh, where they're searching for talent all across the continent there. Like South America's got talent. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Some Brazilian. Never mind. (laughs) But yeah, and then uh, actually this year in March, uh, she's headed to India. Um, She is going to be putting on a show along with a few other singers, top acts and whatnot, for Sanjay's uh, mixed martial arts event in Mumbai, India. Oddly enough, so she uh, she's this is going to be the first time she's been to India, and she's going to be performing for a mixed martial arts tournament. It's kind of well, you know what? Either That's actually kind of rad. It is rad, but either she's a big fan of the martial arts, or there's money flowing through that stuff that we don't even know about. Evidently, there it is. It might be. I a mean, they used both, to actually they used to get Whitney Houston to go, you know, perform for the King of Dubai or whatever. By the way, R.I.P. Oh, uh, <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, that's not funny. Well, no, it's not, but <laughs> odds on there's drugs involved. I, 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 yeah. it, 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 or Bobby Brown, yeah. but yeah. Well, I mean, if, if Bobby Brown's involved, drugs are involved. <laughs> right. I mean, come on. It's like a double whammy. There you go. <laughs> okay, moving along. <laughs> and on uh, another note, um, for you Kung Fu fans out there, uh, Frank DeMaria, I can never pronounce his name right, who's... 67 years old. Uh, you may have heard about this. Last year was brought up on charges uh, for sexual abuse. Uh, some of his female students. There's going to be one every yeah, time. No, I'm no telling kidding. you. This Magnificent a, Jay, you need to just stop the, rolling your eyes because you're going to get used to it. The, the sex abuse portion of the show. Yeah. Indeed. <laughs> and unfortunately, he was uh, found guilty um, recently up in New York City. And uh, he was got charged on two counts of first-degree sexual abuse, uh, three counts of second-degree um, <clears throat> sexual conduct against a child, uh, and several other uh, misdemeanors as well. You know, and it, it really sucks because he's, you know, 67. I don't, I, he's obviously going to get quite a bit of jail time, and spending his golden years uh, that way is not really the way well, to do know, it. Well, you know, I... I mean, I see what you're saying, but I'm frankly so unsympathetic to someone that does this kind of stuff that I'm just upset that he's not going to probably live long enough to serve it all. Yeah, true, true, true. <clears throat> I mean, it's what well, something's got to happen to make people realize they shouldn't be doing this. Exactly. You know? He's and then from what I've heard, it uh, all came about about uh, doing a tiger claw technique where you strike at uh, the man's groin area. And evidently, he didn't move out of the way, but just stayed there a little too long while they were practicing oh, the technique. God. Oh, so he had these kids lined up coming up and... He did. <laughs> I remember that. Well, for one thing, claw. if the technique worked, then the first kid should have brought him to his knees. Exactly. I remember that tiger claw. <laughs> that's Fondly, a, that's a story of for another time, though. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think I want to hear that. And one. That's not for you guys, actually. That's okay. probably more for my therapist. It, it's yeah. kind of funny, though. I after I read this story uh, of him, you know, finally being actually uh, charged and and. Brought and found convicted. Guilty. He's convicted. Been convicted. There you go. Yeah. Um, I went to his website just out of curiosity because he's been around for quite a while. Um, you know, he was a, a student of Chang Tai Shong's and uh, for Shui Jiao, and he also taught Bagua, Xing Yi, Tai Chi, some basic Shaolin and whatnot. And he's had tons and tons of students. Anyway, I went to his website, and the first thing you're presented with is a special offer on two brand new DVDs. Um, and of course, his l- most recent blog post is 
nothing relevant, but a message to all the wonderful people in the world. Um, you know, ignoring the fact, you know, that I am someone who I never met the guy, but now I know about his extremely personal life. Uh, so does everybody else, you know. You can't you can't ignore that fact and just covering it up with a sales message on the front of your website is probably not the well, best. Well, he's way to probably do that. hoping enough people can. I mean, you know, you still want to keep some sort of income when you're in prison because you got to buy cigarettes and you got to pay <laughs> off your, you know, <laughs> got to pay off your protection. Yeah, no kidding, right? Oh. Well, there's also just that that pesky legal defense fund. I'm sure he's still trying. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Indeed. You know, I mean, you can't fault a man for that. And not to make light of it, it's a terrible story for everyone involved, but God. Yeah. Come well, on, I... people. <laughs> Come on. Well, good luck to his uh, assistant instructors out there. Hopefully they can keep the school running and everything and try and keep uh, personalities oh, separate God, from the art. Oh, God, that's such a art. thing to have to try to live down, though, too, right? True. Because, I mean, if you think about it, that's the sort of thing that... That type of reputation rubs off on everybody involved. You've screwed up a lot of people by doing that. And at least as far as being a public teacher, that will pretty much pinch off your end of that branch of that style. Oh, yeah. For good. And And I feel really, you know... Uh, first and foremost for the you know the children that were abused yeah yeah <laughs> but I mean, for his long term students who may not have ever encountered any abuse or anything else and thought that they had a really good thing going on and and oh, looked that towards having a future with that martial art as a teacher or something else they've they've just you know added All their a huge obstacles yeah i mean <laughs> yeah, it's, no it's uh, guys take hope or girls it's it's not the end of the world for you but yeah it's it's certainly a ton of extra baggage that you do not want indeed one other interesting uh, piece of news um, brings a new light to giving him the finger. Uh, that common phrase now is some unique connotation. I, I like this where this is going already. Just saying, but Harold continue. Finger the Third. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I, I knew I knew I liked where this is going. Indeed, he um, <laughs> he's been in jail a bunch of times for assault. He's uh, an ex MMA fighter, and. Uh, he was out, uh, you know, on probation for beating up some chick, and within one week, uh, he's on the phone with somebody. He wants this gal who's standing next to him in his apartment. He's got several lady friends over, and they have a couple of kids over. And he wants his lady friend to talk to this guy on the phone. She says no. So then, of course, he proceeds in his leather gloves with hard plastic knuckles to beat and pummel her in the face knocks her down on the ground, and as he's turning to walk away, of course, kick her in the ribs, you know, one last good shot. Uh, the girls, of course, start screaming, flip out, pick her up and the kids and run to the uh, the the bedroom and saying they're going to call the cops. He flips out, says, well, I'm not going back to jail ever again, grabs one of the little boys, holds him up to his chest, and grabs a can of Prestone starter fluid and uh, begins to douse himself and the child. Jesus Christ. Uh, luckily, one of the ladies sees this happening. She runs, grabs the kid just before he sets himself on fire. I'm, oh actually, my I'm, God. I'm, I'm, I take that back. I don't like where this story is going. <laughs> no joke. Who would have thought this would have wound up with self immolation? Exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, he's, he's still in critical condition in the hospital and whatnot, but, uh, 
I'm not giving him the finger. Yeah, well, <laughs> he probably deserves the finger, actually. But speaking of self-emulation, emul- emul- emulation. emulation. Yes. <laughs> I emulate myself yeah. all the time. I can't help it. God, no, speaking of self-emulation, uh, it happened again in Tibet, actually. You got oh, Buddhist yeah? monks setting themselves on fire again. <laughs> Well, as long as they're not clutching children to their chest yeah, well, yeah, after no, taking know, a leather glove up was, against some lady's head, I was uh, just <laughs> I was I was mightily surprised as that cro- that crossed my Google News feed that no, there it, it was. It's a, it couldn't be a powerful protest if you're a very peaceful person, uh, but if you're a, a raving redhead jackass, then yeah, exactly. It's not so much a protest as a barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. And 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 perhaps a well timed one. Yeah, exactly. On the person, right? Yeah. And one last tidbit of information: there's uh, yet another Bruce Lee documentary that's been released. Uh, this one, uh, aptly titled "I Am Bruce Lee." Uh, he was Bruce. He Lee. was. Bruce Lee. I think he still might be, but just you know. What else? Um, what else? I am Bruce Lee's remains. What, yeah. <laughs> what else about that guy is left? To, is, is there left to document? Really? You know, I don't. Every know. Every martial arts magazine uh, through the entirety of my childhood had Bruce Lee on the cover at least four times a year. Oh yeah, yeah. it was like Bruce Lee was almost the only thing that existed in the wild and mm-hmm. wide, wacky world of martial arts. There was so much going on then, and. I didn't get exposed to any of it till much later because guess what? Bruce, Bruce Lee, Lee. sold <laughs> magazines. You know what? Oh, I'm gonna, <laughs> let's oh go, come on. You know, let's we go ahead and start all... generating the hate mail. No. His movies aren't that good. No, you know, <laughs> I, I like Enter the Dragon for what it is, but I don't look at Enter the Dragon as a as a like a good martial arts flick. I really look at it as more like a. Like a good seventies B movie, uh, right? You, you can knock him, but 60s, still, he 70s, was whatever. the guy that brought most martial arts. He was to the big the popular. And you know. you know what? Every guitar magazine in the nineteen eighties and early nineties had Jimi Hendrix on the cover uh, yeah. every four good issues well, to, and, and, to drum up sales. So, and, yeah. and every MMA teacher will tell you that Bruce Lee was kind of the the that's. His style was sort of the, the Jeet Kune Do, the, the yeah, open the door to to, yeah. to mix martial arts and and. This and that, you know. So I mean, True that's indeed. not to say uh, the History Channel did the whole how Bruce Lee changed the world. They basically covered him from his birth to his death, and yeah. everything that happened afterwards. I, I just it, it, oh, don't it, get me wrong. I had Bruce Lee posters all over my room. I used to write his wife. I mean, I was yeah, I was obsessed <laughs> with the guy. Just so was the whole world. There's a city somewhere in Bulgaria. Is it no Romania? I'll have to look this up, people. But they they built a huge Bruce Lee a statue. Bruce Lee statue in the middle yeah. of town. I forget where it is, but yeah, yeah, it was Eastern Bloc country, I think. But uh, for me, you know, because I'm a traditionalist, and <clears throat> so once I really got into my traditional foo, I kind of eschewed him to the side a little bit because. You know, most of what he's known for is that uh, mix it up, mix it up. Well, anyway, getting back on topic, he uh, yeah, th- this was released. Uh, you can only see it the day after fe- uh, Valentine's Day, February fifteenth. Uh, select stu- uh, theaters around the world. Is is that like some kind of, some kind of Bruce Lee anniversary, like his birthday? No, his it's just a marketing like thing. Okay, well. I mean, that, you know, his birthday or his death day would be a great marketing ploy. Well, the guys want to see it for the violence, and the girls want to see it for those abs. Hey, I like those abs, and, too. And no. the love story between... Uh, uh, Bruce and Linda. Bruce and Linda, sure. Yeah. Love knows no borders. 
Mine does. <laughs> I was about to say, yeah, no, I, yeah. I hear you. And a couple of uh, small tidbits. Ryan Redman uh, used to be a, a judo champion. He's uh, also the coach of the uh, Amador judo team in Livermore, California. Uh, he's also in jail on more sex charges. Uh, I say more because it's not his first time. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, he didn't learn his lesson that well. Uh, and something kind of funny that happened uh, recently. Um, in Kentucky, there was a uh, mixed martial arts event where the two contenders ended up crashing through the door on the cage and onto the outside floor. Uh, so a double knockout by both of them. So that was pretty great. <laughs> That's classic. Yeah. Yes, indeed. <laughs> And for you UFC fans, UFC is finally this year coming back to Atlantic City for the first time in seven years they've been away. Uh, luckily, though, Atlantic City has had several other MMA or mixed martial arts competitions that have been helping bring in the popular uh, dollar signs. Uh, but everybody's really pleased to hear that they're coming back to Atlantic City. And that's about it. That's the news. Thank you very much, Craig. We'll be back with another installment next time of News, News, News from the Wacky World of Martial Arts. from the dead to finish the greatest martial arts trilogy of the past decade. The forces of good have always struggled with evil. souls are no match for one man. Tony Jaw, the grand master of martial arts, returns to face his final challenge. I love the fact that he came back from the dead to fight the blackest souls. <laughs> and he's the grandmaster of martial, martial arts. arts. Yeah, no, they're, they're, oh, yeah. Not just a martial art, but all yeah, no, martial arts. We're going big. All martial arts. Right. He's just the grandmaster. Well, look, uh, obviously, <laughs> we're, we're going to do a quick media mop-up here. Uh, this is a new segment we're trying out. We're just going to toss it in real quick. Uh, 
you know, because people who love martial arts, well, they love martial arts movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People who don't love martial arts love martial arts yeah. fucking movies. So. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, one thing I'll point out is I'm, I'm going to try to restrict most of the stuff we cover on here to stuff that's available on Netflix streaming because I have a young child and that's the only way I get to see a freaking movie anymore. But also because... <laughs> With you there, brother. And I'm pointing this out to any martial arts uh, movie fan that doesn't know this. For your eight bucks a month, Netflix streaming has a lot of both old and new martial arts movie content. It's really good. I mean, this is the kind of stuff you have you used to have to hunt out that one cool video store in your town <laughs> yeah. and hope that they had some of this stuff or ask them to order it so you could watch it. All of that stuff is on Netflix now, or a large chunk of it. I, I should probably point out that the opinions uh, discussed in this podcast are solely the opinions of the hosts of the podcast and do not in any way reflect an endorsement by Netflix or the Chinese restaurant we were talking about. <laughs> yeah, <right here>. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're just spitballing here, people. Um, yeah, it's, uh, so let's really quickly, let me just give you an idea of what you're getting into. I'm leaving Ombak, the original aside, because that was a modern set period piece. Uh, and you know, it had, uh, it was a breath of fresh air when it came out because Thailand was just starting to field these films that had the same kind of real disregard for safety, bone crunching stunt work, <laughs> like and Hong Kong, yeah. and good martial arts that the oh, Hong Kong God. movies um, were putting out in their heyday back in the eighties and nineties. Hong Bok made me hurt just to watch it. Ah, yeah, yeah, in a good way. I mean, it was a good hurt. And uh, so the next uh, two movies in the series are a little duology, if you will, of their own, and they're a period piece. And look, people. Yeah, there's good martial arts uh, action in both of them, but they're fantasy films, like straight-up fantasy films with bad guys swooping in and... Ninjas in the middle of the jungle. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, it's... it's, But that's what they're trying to be, and that being said, they're good. There's it's good fun. production values. There's a lot of fun to be had with it. You don't want to take it too seriously. Now, Ong Bak 2, I really enjoyed. Ong Bak 3, which I just watched recently... Um, Again, it had some good bone-crunchy fight scenes in it, but um, the first half of this movie plays like The Passion of Tony Jaa. It's, <laughs> it's basically just him getting the crud smashed out of him 15 ways to Sunday and then slowly recovering <laughs> via you know his mystical powers. Did, from did they nail him to a tree or something? In, uh, in there? He's I mean. not exactly nailed to a tree but he's tied to one oh, well, at one point enough. and yeah yeah, yeah. They, they beat they, they, I mean, they allegedly break every bone in his body mythologically speaking right. tied to a tree works just as well actually, right so. so yeah so they drag he 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 gets uh, bailed out as a sack of jello and uh, <laughs> you know it's a <laughs> It's the same plot you've seen a thousand times but there are some interesting twists and stuff in there and uh Basically, if I had to sum up in one sentence why, if you're a martial arts movie fan, you should watch these movies, they stage fights on fucking elephants. <laughs> that's it right there. They have fights on freaking elephants, and uh, it's that's pretty badass. That's yeah, some footwork. Yeah. And I'm going to talk about that. There's CGI elephants in there, too, but these are real elephants. Nice. Nice. Or at least for portions of it. So, you know. <laughs> that's One of the things that I do really like about the Thai movies is, yeah, there is that element of just... just, just Elephants? Total disregard yeah. for safety and human life. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, know it's harsh like, to say, but that's what makes those movies exciting. That is what makes them And look, the, the level of training reels. that goes into a Jackie Chan or a Tony Jaa involves someone 
having disregard for the life of a child. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you don't see these guys in the West that can do, you know, five minute fight scenes with no cuts and lots of acrobatics because it would be child abuse to train them that hard. True. Right. Well, True. You know, uh, uh, the beautiful, uh, what I like about it in particular, though, is it's not like you, you see martial arts movies and you see some of the ones and, and, Something will happen. It's like, holy fuck! Did that just happen? You don't. That's not even a question that has to cross your mind when you're watching these flicks. Yeah, it did actually happen. That <laughs> totally just happened. Yes, <laughs> minus the superpowers bit. And that you know that beats any damn special effect you'll ever see. Because yeah. it, even if you're a kid watching martial arts movies, you're like, hey, that guy did it and lived. <laughs> Kids, don't try this at home. All right. Well, let's keep this rolling along. On the opposite side of the coin, uh, I'm going to go ahead and drop in a trailer from this movie. Simply good, uncompromising, refuses to pull a single punch. Matures beyond genre elements to embrace deeper questions of morality and identity. A European version of The Sopranos, these movies make your stomach turn your head pound. You're left deeply uneasy and longing for more. By the way, if you don't speak Danish, he said that cocaine is raced with lat with rat poison. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the Pusher trilogy, and I'm bringing this up now because, uh, for one thing, Drive has a huge amount of buzz right now. Uh, it was, uh, you know, I didn't watch the Oscars, so I don't know. But it was nominated for some Oscars, and uh, it's a director that I actually have been following for a while, and I recommend anybody that liked the movie Drive, and look, this is not a trilogy of martial arts films at all, but it is a trilogy about the underworld that these people live in. The first one's more like closer to a, an action movie than the subsequent two, but they're really good movies, and they are violent. Yes. And where they are violent, they are pretty realistically violent. Nice. And, you know, after you watch people doing backflips off elephants and kicking guys in, in the top of the head and, you know, throwing 47 elbows before their feet touch the ground, it can be not only refreshing, but also uh, illuminating to go back and watch some movies with, A, some actual dramatic content that's not eye-rolly. <laughs> <laughs> But that B can also remind you, like that kid who thinks, oh, yeah, I could fall off the top of that semi. He got away with it. Well, you know, real violence is usually fast, dirty, and extremely Painful. disruptive <laughs> yeah, to people's no lives. Yeah, no kidding, right? <clears throat> so, you know, there's, uh, there are fights in this, and they usually don't last long. And uh, by push or three, you actually see what they do with the body. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Very nice, and that's not pretty either. But you know, I don't want to make this sound like they're all uh, gru and gore. There's actually really good human stories in here, and uh, you know, I watched uh, this trilogy uh, 
again on streaming um, right after uh, within the first six months of having my first child. And boy, the second one especially, just and the third one, just smack you in the face with some fatherhood issues. Nice. Now, you may not be a drug dealer in Denmark, but it still gets through to you, you know? <laughs> drug dealer in Denmark's issues really are universal if you think about it. I know? think so. I think so. There's a lot of human ground to be covered there. So this is really not so much just pure haya martial artsy goodness fun time, but they're great movies. And if you like Drive, you really should back up and watch these because they're easily available. And uh, you know, I think taken as a trilogy, uh, Drive was uh, in a lot of ways just cribbing elements from these movies and sort of trying to mainstream them a little bit more to an American audience. I haven't seen any of those Drive or this Pusher trilogy, but I tell you what, I'm. It, I got to see the uh, preview there, uh, you know, on your YouTube, and uh, it looks pretty interesting. I, I, I think I am going to actually check it out. So uh, are there some shoot 'em up elements in the in the Pusher movies, I'm taking it? There's a little bit of gunplay, right. but the violence tends to be more like, you know, somebody's suspected of saying something wrong or doing the wrong thing, right. and a guy just catches, spots him in a coffee shop as he's walking by and goes in and, and beats him half to death with a baseball bat. There wow. you go. Hey, yeah. there we go. I, I, I dig that kind of thing. <laughs> it's that kind of thing. Well, you know, speaking of shoot 'em up movies, God, God forbid that genre ever make it popular in Thailand because there will be much, many fewer people. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think those John Woo kind of movies are actually safer to shoot. You know, yeah. it's basically just the falling off of things where you get hurt there. Uh, of course, Brandon Lee would disagree. Oh, oh sorry. I didn't that's mean to right. say that. Ooh. All right. Well, that's it for your media mop up. <laughs> Folks, going out there and check both these movies out. Uh, one for fun and the other for, you know, um, enlightenment, I suppose. Okay, we've come to the end of another show. That makes two. <laughs> <laughs> and for anybody that's listening to this, we really appreciate it. Uh, keep checking us out. We're going to keep having great interviews. Uh, and we once again want to thank Mr. Ellis Amder for coming on and talking to us. Uh, we really enjoyed that. Oh, yeah. It was and great. And we hope you guys did, too. And... Uh, before we go, I think we'll toss it over to Craig for a thoughtful quote of the week. If you study boxing without training basic skills, you can train this way until old age, and it will still be empty. That's right. It's always about the basics, folks. So tuck away your butterfly kicks and get back in your horse stance. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that's a traditional quote, but true words are never spoken in my estimation. All right. Um, thanks to uh, <laughs> my guest host, Craig Keesling, and Magnificent Jay swirling and twirling behind the boards there. Yeah, it's my pleasure, as making always. Making things work. As as, as always, that, meaning this time and the last time. And the last time, yeah. yeah. As I'm sure it will be the next time also. And folks, I mean, uh, be patient with us. We're getting a feel for this thing. We're only two shows up off the ground, but we're having a great time, and uh, we hope you like it, too. So... All that being said, we're going to sign off, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks. If you got any questions or comments, of course, you want to check out hiya at gmail.com. Yep, that's Hiya Podcast, H-I-Y-A-A-P-O-D-C-A-S-T, at gmail.com. That's totally what I meant. That's exactly what he was trying to say. <laughs> he just needed a little help. And <laughs> And we will be uh, buffing up our web presence here very soon, so you'll have show notes you can refer to. But, uh, you know, until that happens, anybody that hears this and has something to say, hit us up. And with all that out of the way, thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on Hiya! Hiya!
lost her at the hotel paradise. This is what I told him as I gazed into his eyes.